This podcast is not meant to be informative or educational and has the potential to be completely irrelevant. This is Property Jam. Hello. Hello. And welcome to this edition of Property Jam on the podcast where we talk about everything on the human side of property. And today uh, you are in for a special treat, yet another one. Um, it is uh, today we have uh, Joe Garner with us from New Place. Uh, and we're talking about new things, um, probably new properties, new houses, new cars. Uh, what, what else are we going to be talking about, Joe? Over to you. Who are you? Why are you here today? Uh so thank you very much for having me. Um, my name is Jagana. As you've said, I'm from New Place. Uh, we are a, um, a new new home builder, as we like to call ourselves. Uh, we specialise in everything from uh, planning through to delivery of homes and, and everything in between. Um, so yeah, very much focusing on uh, providing uh, things that are new, as you say, um, uh, particularly particularly new homes. I don't really have anything else to do. I wanted to add something funny in there about something new I bought, but uh, yeah, Any new, new shoes only, yeah. No, new baby, new shoes, no. Oh, new microphone. This is a new jumper. I, I got this ah. for Christmas. I bugged the life out of my wife to tell, for her to tell me what she got me for Christmas. I totally ruined Christmas. And uh, now I have a new jumper, four weeks oh, early. What? what? Sorry, before we get into property, what? So hang on. You asked your wife what she got you for Christmas. She told you, and now you're actually wearing it before the festive uh, season has even begun. Sort of. I, it was more of I got her in a headlock, forced her to tell me what she bought me, <laughs> made her give it to me, and then uh, wore it I, today. Yeah. That's a way better Love story. Were you, were you that cold? Uh, not so much cold, but um, I, I like this style of like a zipped up wool smart top. Like it's my thing. I'm trying to get a uniform. So, you know, like. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg and his flip-flops or Steve Jobs and his uh, black polo neck. Nobody knows me. I've got about four followers on LinkedIn. But um, for those <laughs> who do, if they saw me down the street, they would know it's me because of the zip on the jumper. Interesting. Love it. Okay. Yes. Yeah, Christmas. So, Christmas at so the you, yeah. So there's two things I've learned about you so far is that, mm. number one, you're really impatient. Yes. Um, and Incredible. number That's two. Under, understatement, I think. Understatement. <laughs> Yeah, definitely couldn't wait till Christmas only a matter of days and number two you like new things which probably takes us back to what you do in property so like yeah what's your what's your Absolutely. USP like, what's your thing so the USP really is trying to improve on on the current housing stock so you know we're looking in areas where there's a lot of hundred year old houses they're leaking energy they're not fit for purpose and we can basically recycle that piece of land, that square footage, that brownfield site, wherever it may be, and provide a brand new home. Um, you know, we, we started off very much of, we were quite safe with what we were doing. You know, we were looking to provide new homes with their flats or houses. And, you know, we hit building regs and that sort of thing um, in terms of energy efficiency and the sustainable value. Um, and the last six months we've been working really hard on sort of the next step. Um, so a bit of not just corporate social responsibility, that sort of thing, um, but, but, but sustainability and what we can really add. Can these homes be here for another 100 years? If they are here for another 100 years, are they adaptable? Are they going to be out of date in 10 years' time? Can people afford to buy them? Can people build a home and a life here? 
and, and all of the extra sort of bits and pieces. So whilst, yes, we are a business, we do try to make money and we are a developer, um, it's looking at can we add a lot of extra value to create um, lifestyle homes for the future. That's interesting because a lot of the um, new build developments, especially big blocks of flats and stuff that I see going up all over the place, when I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, is that sustainable? Like, will that stand the test of time or will it just look completely outdated in 15 to 20 years time and nobody will want to live there or they'll just be pulled down and rebuilt again? Yeah, and, and that's the thing. You know, you can look at buildings, blocks of flats five years ago and they look awful. Yeah. Um, and there is no longevity in that. Now, a lot of the stuff that we're building at the moment, we try and take a traditional form. Um, so we have like very much a brick built form, traditional styles of, of construction. So it's it's almost like we've built a house and then converted it into flats. That's so our apartments, our flats, that's that style. Um, and then houses as well. There's, there's, there's very little render. We're not trying to be overly trendy in terms of the finishes. What we're looking to do is, is you know, you, you can see, uh, you know, I'm based at Blackfriars at the moment. I can walk out of this building and see stone built buildings that have been here for a long time and they are still fit for purpose. But we have that real dearth of quality and imagination and uh, uh, focus on, on, the, on the things that were built in the 60s, 70s, 80s that we just don't need anymore. And they're not fit for purpose and they're not energy efficient. And uh, if we can get rid of them and build something that looks great, looks traditional, but provides all the modern features uh, and is adaptable, crucially, um, then, then that's what we're going for. Um, we are currently planning for, for, for what would be a tower block. Um, it has its own challenges in terms of trying to hit all of those key targets that we are trying to hit. Um, green roofs you know 10 stories up sound great but you know in the current weather do you really want to be having a picnic on the 10th floor of a tower block um <laughs> in the southwest of london when it's blowing a gale probably not the british um, we'll tell you what we can get we'll do it wearing bikinis having a barbecue i mean that is literally <laughs> what we do <laughs> is, i should probably put that on the brochure when we sell it yeah actually. that's yeah. marketing baby <laughs> know your audience know your audience that's it. That's it. But um, yeah, so, so look, we, you know, I, I had a chat this morning with, 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 with um, our sales and marketing team and like we thought that we would be, be selling three bed homes, uh, three bed flats. Uh, they would be flying off the shelf uh, to young families. They, they now become two bed plus. So two bed plus a study, two bed plus a nursery, two bed plus a, I don't know, a home brewing room, whatever it may be. Um, and we're learning, we're learning regularly about our own demographic, about our own market and what people want. The thing I find really difficult um, is when people won't refer to something that's a small house or uh, a flat as a home. It's not a home, it's not a family home, doesn't count. You're knocking down a family home and you're building flats. And we find that really difficult and we're, we're, we're struggling to communicate to the, the wider kind of NIMBYs, uh, objectors, and that sort of thing, that actually, even a one-bed flat is a home. If there's, if there's, even if one person lives on their own, it's still their home, it's still where they live, it's still, they, they want to have somewhere that they, they call their own in the area that they want to live in. Um, so so in, it, it keeps coming back to that kind of new home. Um, it, it's, it's very much a home, and, 
and by making it somebody's new home, somebody where something where somebody will live and they will call their own. But when they do decide to move, that it's not obsolete, that it's not out of date. You know, we're not going into houses and ripping out avocado bathroom suites and, um, and, and you know, hiring the steamer from the hire shop and getting rid of the chipboard paper. I'm sure we've all done that. We've all been there, right? Um, you know, lifting the floorboards and discovering... Yeah. Uh, uh, the, 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 the rot are set into the, the joists, you know, how can we get away from that, that actually, you know, I spend a lot of time in commercial fit out in offices and they're very much, you know, demountable partitions, things you can remove, things you can change, like houses ideally need to be in that fashion um, because, you know, there's people still living in homes that have got terrible mould issues. There's people living in houses at the moment with lead drinking pipes, you know, for the water, um, you know, there's things that we don't even know about that are issues because we haven't discovered those issues yet. Um, and, and I think as we're building new and as we're getting rid of the old, we've got an opportunity to, to really maximise what we're doing. And, you know, a lot of what we do at New Place is, is, is sort of um, uh, Greater London. So we are operating within that kind of like zone six, zone five, great opportunities, one of the, if not the greatest city on the earth. Um, of, of London, Amen. of all the opportunities that come with it, with economics and that sort of thing. And people can't afford to buy or live in these areas, even though they grew up there. I mean, yeah. what, what's required to buy a home now is crazy. It's, an area we develop in is, is Coulston. I was born there. Um, I lived there for a long time. Um, and the average sale, flats, houses, everything in Coulston, zone six of, of, of London, London Borough of Croydon, is £570,000. That's Man. the average. So, you, and there isn't a great renting stock. There, is, there isn't huge amounts of rental stock in these areas. Um, so you're kind of forced into a position where a lot of people I grew up with are now moving to Sussex and, yeah. you know, down to the, the South Coast and different areas because they can't afford to... to my backyard. They grew up in. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. And, and the, those, those, those guys from London just come in and steal. Oh, <laughs> the worst. <laughs> the worst. Uh, where did you move from, Matt? London. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, okay, there's lots there. There's so much there, isn't there? And it's like, I'm, I want to kind of get into knowing more about the, the kind of objections that you get. But I suppose because the question we always ask people, come on the podcast we always ask what does the human side of property mean to you and you've already gone some way to answer it but yeah what would you say i think the human side for me is like you know we get sales reports we've sold you know 35 flats out of 40 flats or 12 houses out of 15 houses but it's it's who's who's moving in what's their story where are they moving to you know they're asking for little tweaks to to some of the, the, you know, some of the things we've installed. Could we have this here? Could we have that there? You know, oh, you know, we're, we're having a baby in, in January. Could we get in before December? So that whole human side of it in terms of the new build, but also the bit that goes for us and what we do, the, the bit that, that, that really goes missing, there are loads and loads of people locked into their homes, like prisoners, widows, older people. They've still got mortgages and they can't afford to pay the mortgage off. And they can't afford to sell and downsize at the current property market value. So on that side of it, you know, the fun side of it is the new builds and people moving in and it's lovely and, you know, and they really enjoy your new home. 
But in several occasions this year, you know, we're, we're buying houses over market value from someone who is desperate to either retire or leave or doesn't want to be rattling around in a five bedroom home. Now their children have left and they're there on their own and that sort of thing. So meeting those people and, and allowing them to, to actually, you know, be free of, 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 of the, uh, the shackles of a, of a big old property that, that was great 20 years ago, that, that human side of it is, is something that I didn't expect to, to uh, experience and, and didn't realise how much benefit and, and joy we could actually bring on them. Because, you know, our model really is, if we can get permission on a, on a piece of land, it is more valuable uh, on the purchase price. It's a very simple model. A lot of people do it. Um, but if we can pay somebody more than their property's worth, and that means they can either upsize or they can move to a new area or they can downsize and retire, we're adding benefit on that side as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so, so as much as we can do. And, and again, I have these conversations with people and it always comes back to greedy developer, greedy developer, greedy developer. Uh, and it's so difficult to, to cast that aside, to, to, to let people know that actually what you're doing is trying your best to, to, to create new homes, buy properties at over and above market value. There is a lot of benefit here and yeah, we get it. We are making some noise and, and it is going to be a bit dusty and people don't like change. Um, but the actual people you deal with in the transactions all the way, it's a really pleasant, positive experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, I would say the, the, the people inside and the ones you deal with, the, the actual the actual day-to-day, you know, it's, it's extremely pos uh, positive. The the the, um, the human side of it is fantastic, and the stories of different people and where they're from and how long they've lived in the home and and all that sort of stuff. You know, it's a really enjoyable part of the of the, of the journey. So, do you have um, quite good relationships with the councils you work in? Then we have uh, <laughs> the a lot of the councils we deal with have, have been under immense pressure. Um, we've all suffered through COVID. We've all suffered. Very diplomatic through, answer um, going on right now. This is yeah. so safe. I love it. Sorry, not not the councils aren't listening. Bear you can rip. bear with me. Just when you drop your guard, there's going to be an uppercut. All right. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So so that aside. However, I, I've always worked in private practice. I've always worked for big companies. And, you know, if I do a deal with you and I say, well, I'm going to give you 20 grand, I need this by Monday. I need it by Monday. And it, and it needs to be done really well. Otherwise, we're never going to work with each other again. And I'm used to that world. And I really struggled with, yeah, that will be done by Monday. And then it's done in like 2028. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah. And I know it's a different world in the public sector and private sector and that sort of thing. We have a decent relationship with the councils we work with. Um, there are some very, very good town planners there. They are hamstrung, I believe, with the system. Um, I, I had a conversation yesterday, and I think this is the craziest thing of all time. You, uh, you work with the council, with the town planners, uh, and the urban designers, and transport, and agriculture, and all sort of stuff. You create a scheme, goes through pre-up, everyone's happy with it, policy compliant, submit, turn down a committee, then the you appeal if you like you send your appeal off and the person who awarded or the team that, that gave you a, a you know a yes who put you forward for for approval has to write a statement to say why it should be turned down and that's just <laughs> one of the many archaic crazy parts of our planning system 
they've given well, they, they, approval. They, they don't have to respond to that, they, do they? No, but if they don't respond, then they have to take it to committee to, to justify, or they have to speak to the members, because in essence, the, the, the planning officers work for the, the committee members. But, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of this, that, that whole, so, and, and, and yeah, uh, that side of it with, with the local authorities and all the rules and the archaic nature and not being able just to, you know, in your, in your sort of commercial capitalist world where you can just break down rules and innovate and that sort of stuff, I, I find that really, really difficult. So whilst it's not individual relationships um, that I struggle with, I, I, I do um, really find it difficult when people you know are good at their job and you could really get somewhere. You're, you know, you're delayed, you're, you're stopped from doing things. There's, there's no way of having open, honest conversations and that sort of thing. Um, do, you yeah. think, do you think that planners have, just like you've got the NIMBY attitude to developers, do you think that spills over a little bit into council attitudes? Almost ironically, I'm aware of the question I'm asking, but this has been my experience of things that actually there can be quite a subjective slant sometimes, even within a planning environment in a council. Do you feel that's a thing? I, yes, yes, I do. Um, I think that there is definitely an obvious political leaning. Um, uh, so in terms of you have council that will either be basically red blue or yellow uh, depending where you are and what you're doing um, and then there's a bigger picture above that uh, in terms of the party and, and what the actual uh, position is of that party particularly on uh, development that sort of stuff um, so yeah I, I, I'm absolutely certain that I can feel talking and dealing with different people and depending particularly when you know they're and maybe their 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 um their political allegiance. You can definitely feel that there is either a pro-development or an anti-development or uh, yeah. some sort of um, I wouldn't call it hidden agenda, but definitely um, political agenda. Uh, a political agenda, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and it feels sorry. Oh. I was just going to say, yeah, we we've experienced it as well, um, where votes often go along party lines. Um, and um, yeah, so, so with that in mind, do you avoid certain councils because of how, because of the committees and you know life is going to be, you're going to, well, basically you're going to end up in um, appeal more often than not? I think that's it. We, we factor in the appeal. So, yeah. so we'll, we'll factor in the appeal in our costs and our time scales. And sometimes that makes a, a deal or an opportunity um, uh, you know, we don't go forward with it because we think it's going to go to appeal, it's another 30 grand, but let's go and do yeah. something else. Um, equally, we, we, we do, you know, obviously our, our gain is building homes and if, if, a, yeah. if, if a particular, our council or county council is very keen on building homes and wants more homes and, and that sort of thing, then of course we naturally gravitate, we naturally yeah. gravitate there. Where, where we find that really difficult is your kind of, Essex is a, is a really good example of this. So Essex, the, 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 the land cost and the development cost are very different to say Croydon or Sutton or Kingston. Sutton, 
<laughs> Button girl in the house, sorry, just representing, carry on. That's all right, no worries. <laughs> I need to talk to you about something then. I'll, I'll, I'm not I'll, buying I'll, one of your I'll, houses, I'll, Joe, steady. Don't, don't do a sales kit. All over it. Adaptable, you're helping up. You know, um, sorry. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, the build cost is the same. Because the guys, the guys and, 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 and ladies who are on the tools, you know, the, the tradespeople, they're coming into wherever, into the into South of London, North of London, earning, let's just say, 200 a day. They get paid the same in Essex. So, you, you, you know, for a new build developer, there's areas in the South of Essex that are starved of homes, desperate for homes. And it just doesn't work from an economic point of view. We just cannot, in certain areas, we cannot make the numbers work. And almost to the point that it's, you could pretty much submit an application and, and everyone will have a party ring you up say it's approved because they're so desperate homes and, and we can't make, we can't make it work um so so it's 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 not only though you know those which ones do we go to which ones do we avoid we'd love to work in some areas but until um something gives on one of the three key cost centers of development well, it's just not able to mm. yeah. You know, it's a constant battle at the moment for all kind of developers. Um, we, we see it on a kind of daily basis when we're looking at um, projects is un unrealistic expectations of vendors, um, high and, and escalating bill costs and labor costs, yeah. um, material costs, and then the, the GDVs, which are moving, but um, are they moving quickly enough? And also, are they moving predictably enough? So it's um yeah you wouldn't base your scheme based on us well I suppose you would if you're building it in two years you kind of have got to have some certainty on what your house is house is going to be worth in two years time so um yeah it's it's a tricky one yeah you know um, we do as much uh, indexing and and uh, assessment and you know it, will it go up five ten percent will it go you know and you've got build prices that. Have, that on new builds are fluctuated between 190 pounds a square foot and 250 pounds a square foot. I can't, I can't legislate for that because if I if I assumed everything's going to go up by that much in the future, I'll never do a deal. Like, it just won't happen. It's not possible. Um, so, so do you do the build out yourself or do you contract in uh, builders to do that for you? So we, we build ourselves. So we have an, an, a fully owned subsidiary new place construction. Mm -hmm. um, so we almost grew in reverse. So uh, the co-founder uh, co founder Ben uh, and myself, Ben Fish, we were the two that started the business and we were very much a traditional, uh, you know, I was a QS, he was an ops manager, uh, let's get together and become a main contractor and we, and we almost created the planning side of it backwards from there. Right. Um, <clears throat> so, so yeah, the, the building is, is really our core strength to begin with. So I guess that does make it a slightly easier um with build costs and materials and stuff, because you can, you you get a lot of better deals really with that yourself. Yeah, absolutely, and, and we and we we sort of strip off that profit margin, you know, mm. sort of margin on margin, but it does add a lot of headache. So we were, yeah, yeah, uh, I can imagine. You know, and, and as well, I came from some big corporate companies. I, I was didn't realize how spoiled I was. That um, you know. It's just pass. Oh, can you do that for me? I'll accounts. Uh, you know, and then all of a sudden I've got to do it all myself. And I'm really <laughs> spoiled, like, horrendously like, um, privileged. But uh, that was the world I came from. It was, it was, you know, I was, my job was to make money. And because my job was to make money, there was a lot of people there assisting me, making sure that I didn't deal with everything that was overly mundane. And we concentrated on delivering a good product and, and making money. Um, mm. 
yeah, the shock of uh, of, um, of of that in reverse. Um, having your own business and being so busy doing all the, the stuff that I'm not used to uh, that, that you struggle to to fit the money. Uh, making the money part in um yeah yep. that was a it was a big shock very so, um, it is very interesting and um uh, we always ask our guests to come prepared with the questions i believe you've got some question for us which may or may not be property related yeah so i've actually got i've actually got two um Ooh. shall i start with yeah the the, the fun one so um go, with the, go for it yeah so <laughs> You get asked a lot of the time, what would you do if you weren't involved in that sort of stuff? So up until I was about 12, I decided that my uh, future job was I was going to replace Axel Rose as lead singer of Guns N' Roses. Excellent. I can't, okay. I can't dance. I can't play an instrument. Brilliant. But I had a very focused goal. That's what I was going to do. That's what I was going to do. Um, so if you could transport yourself back to uh, uh, that age, first year of senior school, what was your dream to be? Not what you could have been, not anything boring like instead of an accountant, I'd have been something else like a real super dream job. Where, where would you have seen yourself? Wow, I had a very uh, uncreative imagination. <laughs> oh, mine, mine was, oh, you know, acting. I would have been a Hollywood actress, without a doubt. Yeah, red carpets, you know, glitz and glam, famous, you know, in all the films. Yeah, I would have, yeah, that would have been my my thing because I was I went to dance school and and yeah I was into like drama and stuff so yeah that would have been that would have been the dream that dream's still alive no, it's not too late <laughs> you know what you're right no you're right mine's you're probably right. mine has probably passed not definitely. I don't know probably. you've still got Axel vibes somewhere deep in yeah. there somewhere yeah. yeah you know that rooftop you were talking about with the garden on it why don't you just do a live air you know concert on it you yeah. know so all the bricks will be it'll be like 12 degrees everyone will be in their bikini having a barbecue the wind will be just like crazy crazy hard and there's you just living your guns and roses best life on a main stage with your new job you know if i get planning permission yeah just in my new job but if we get planning permission for that particular <laughs> scheme i will do that 100 oh. i will do that. Can we come? You heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should probably have like a, a sort of a ticket to buy tickets here or, or something scrolling along the I would, I would actually buy tickets for that. that sounds <laughs> I might not wear a bikini. I'm not one of those Brits whoa, whoa, that where it's like whoa, suddenly whoa. hits. Oh, I can't, you can't, whoa. You can't, you can't make the rules, set the marketing <laughs> standard and then refuse to comply with it. No, no wonder you didn't make it as an actor. <laughs> <laughs> It's just the idea of like I don't feel like I'm that typical Brit. Where as soon as it hits double digits, I'm just like out there in the in the you know the, the nice weather. I just okay. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. I'd come in a bikini, but I'd also have some sort of like you know sarong that I could sort of wrap around me if I got a bit too cold. Because truth be told, you I just want to enjoy the music. I don't want to be worried about being cold. You know. That's so thanks. I mean, okay. so that's that. That's that, boys. Over to you. It does give you something to sort of whip off and throw on the stage. There you go. So why be my bikini? It'll just be my sarong. I don't want to lose material. I don't want to get colder. You know, there's the whole erect nipples issue. No one needs that on a roof. Like, yeah, just uh, boys Uh, step in. This conversation. Nile, Nile, over to you. For me, it was not that dissimilar to Joe. Wasn't necessarily looking at the Hollywood thing, but I would have quite liked to be on stage in theatre. What? That's never ever come up in conversation before. No, but this is when I was this this is when I was really young. Wow. 
You're yeah. a stranger. I don't know you. I don't. This is how have you never said this? How is this not what? <laughs> well, now you just there you go. It's an exclusive here first on Property Jump. I feel there's like you know there's something brewing here. There's a there's a kind of uh, a, a sitcom or some sort of uh, acting combination here. I'm just waiting for Matt now to to say he wants to be a scriptwriter or uh... <laughs> uh, a musician. Come on, or or musician. Yeah, because I, I, I you probably don't know, Joe, but I was a musician in a former life. Um, so oh, I and when I was eleven. I'm just trying to put myself back in my shoes when I was 11, because at that age, I was still, it is still a choir boy, still a chorister. My balls, had, my balls hadn't dropped. You know, my view on um, music kind of was very classical. I was just about going into jazz. Um, I hadn't really dived into the world of pop and rock, all that kind of stuff. My, my musical taste had been very much blinkered by my parents who very much to classical music and obviously going to seeing a cathedral seven days eight times a week six days a week god was, you were um, cool i know i know look at me now um <laughs> not a lot of change. little changes <laughs> yes. um, his balls still haven't dropped we're all waiting <laughs> uh, so i think i think at that, at that age i was um very much think, thinking i wanted to definitely wanted to be a musician um, but I still wasn't wasn't playing that much piano the time I was learning piano. But yeah, it wasn't until I was about 14 that I started to get into doing piano in into in band ensembles, the swing band, you know, so my very first um, gigging band at the age of 14, 15. So, um, yeah, but I did, I did go into music and I did gig for like probably 15 years. And still gigging now. Oh, Haven't right. was done for a little while, but um, album, new album coming out next year. So, um, not not living the dream that I envisioned, which was to to basically to work with a band that got signed and toured the world. But to be honest, I think that probably got, got stuck with me instead. Stuck with you, <laughs> and no, but I think I got quite a lot of drawbacks with it. You know, being part of the because because kind of missed the days of um, bands being signed as a whole. Um, you kind of get the singer being signed and then the, the, the band getting tossed around like, yeah, they, they don't mean much. So yeah. um, for, for me, it was all about being part of that creative process. And that's what I've done. And I suppose property has been you know, the last six, seven years of being you know, developing properties enabled me to be able to go and then do some more music on my terms. And I've still got goals um, around that, set up a record label, recording studio um, in the Sussex countryside um awesome. in the next four to five years so um that's yeah so i am kind of living that dream i just want lots of electronic toys lots of toys <laughs> lego and lego sounds great i mean my next question is not as a, 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 a yeah it's a little bit boring property wise but um so uh the, the, i just ask you to move close to your microphone you seem oh, to be sorry, further, further away from it sorry sorry there he is. Thank He's you. in the room. He's here. He's back. Yeah. So, so my next one was um, so HMOs uh, and yes. co-living and all the things that yes. um, you know that when when I've looked into you guys and the, some of the stuff you're doing and uh, and that sort of thing. Now, for a long time, um, it, it felt to me that HMOs were sort of Margate, you know, um, divorced. <laughs> Bear with me, bear with me, you know, beating up old seaside towns, uh, you know, people who are, are there having a bit of trouble, one room at a time, 
you know, you know, you read old sort of books of like uh, Glasgow in the twenties, thirties, and that sort of stuff. So that was that was my my sort of mind concept. And then when we started the business three years ago, I went to everything and anything. I would hear anyone talk. I would go to anything and listen, and heard a lot about HMOs, and then bits and pieces about licenses and councils taken away and what you can do and that sort of stuff. Then I looked at some of the stuff you guys were doing. I looked at the co-living and 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 it feels like there's a lot of movement in that area to actually provide really good accommodation at an affordable level in areas that are really nice um, and also create a community. So it kind of connected with what we are looking at. And, you know, I looked into, you know, pocket living. Um, so pocket living are doing something where they're allowing like a one bed, one person, brand new home, 37 square meters, because it becomes more affordable and it's 20% discount, that sort of stuff. So my question really was, um, uh, how far have you seen the HMO market change since you've been in there? And yeah. how good can it in that space? And how good can it become? How, you know, we need these uh, things, we need affordable homes, how good can that be? Oh, boys, go. I don't, I don't think we've got that much time for this. <laughs> <laughs> um, we do pl plenty of webinars on this. Um, so, but for, for, our, for today, I'd say just going back in history. So since we started investing in HMOs six years ago, 2015 was the first, um, you know, we were doing HMOs, which we thought were good quality, high end. And, you know, we were doing like a grey feature wall, furniture pack, um, and we were getting good rents and we thought, yeah, let's do this. Uh, we did want to have a good level of service. And, you know, for example, like we tried to um, manage that ourselves, but then realized very quickly that I shouldn't be managing property. Um, I was more concerned about getting the next you know, project. That was more exciting. Mm -hmm. um, and it just led to more issues in the management if I was actually to get involved in the day to day. So I thought, OK, let's take myself out of that. Let's get someone in who who's, who wants to do that day to day, day out. Um, but when it comes to the actual product that you create, um, you know, we thought that was really great. And then everyone else started doing the same and it became very much um, like the, the, the goalpost kept moving. So what I call the kind of average HMO, we call a beige box, mm -hmm. uh, which the, the beige box used to be like your magnolia walls, wood chip wallpaper. Your beige box now is, has shifted and is now your, your gray feature wall with a furniture pack. Um, and so you've it's a differentiation between what's a highly commoditized marketplace and what's a um, what's a product that stands out in the, in, in the crowd. So um, if you keep creating these, I suppose if you keep creating products which are just the same, then you're going to get mediocre returns. Uh, and, and that product is not going to it's not going to evolve. And I think. What, what I'm seeing in the evolution, what we're seeing is people wanting to do quality and starting to do really good quality, but then again, forget doing what I did at the very beginning, forgetting about the people. Um, so the evolution is going to be in the management of HMOs, which is why we set up Cohome, which is our management agency. Um, so it's going to be, and we're learning how to be really good property and people managers so that we can start to get community and, and um, service at the heart of the, the offering. So yeah, anyone can go out there and create a really good looking property, but it's actually not a, we don't really see it as a home until it's, because you've got to manage the people in that property. It's not really a home until it's managed well, um, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So that's Absolutely. That. The, the market still has got a hell of a long way to go to get to, 
the level that we would consider it should be at because we are quite, um, I don't know if what you find in the development world, but um, I guess similar to developers, landlords have got a bad reputation across the board as a general mm-hmm. rule. And in a lot of the cases, it's justified because there are a lot of shit landlords out there. Um, so, but what, what we've been doing over the past five or six years and the kind of like the community that we've been working with and uh, other landlords and um, co-living operators are trying to do what we're doing. It's actually a very small niche group. Um, and we found quite a lot of them since lockdown um, through social media, especially on like Instagram and LinkedIn, where we're sharing what we're doing and they're sharing what they're doing. But it's still a very small group of people in comparison to the number of rental properties that are in the UK. Yeah. Um, so it will take it'll take a long time for it to get to that level, but it is slowly but surely evolving. Um, and the more that we can shout about what we're doing and encourage more people to jump on the bandwagon because it's we can't do it all ourselves. There's plenty to go around. There's plenty of space for other landlords and developers to jump on board um, and yeah. help change that that mindset of them just being shoddy little bedsits um, where tenants are forgotten about. Um, because it's all demographics, it's students, it's young working professionals, it's middle-aged people, it's mixed communities, it's older people. So it's not just one demographic that that needs that service. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. And and on the other side of it as well. So you've got our side of things, which is the whole producing something that, you know, is competitive and profitable and sustainable. But then on the Mm -hmm. other side of things is that, well, how much is there a sustainable need for what it is that you're providing? Because... And I think if you're looking at the housing market and you're looking at the current economy, what the HMO and the co-living units, are they're filling a massive gap. So it's where, you know, there is such a need for this supply because the demand for that in-between housing has never been greater. Because if you think about the younger demographic of a a co-living market, you've got... The, the, the kid that comes out of university and will probably stay at home with mum and dad for a few years, but then they kind of hit like 25 and they don't want to be at home anymore. They want their independence, but they cannot afford to, you know, buy somewhere for themselves. And, yeah. you know, they can't rent on their own either because rents are crazy for single units. So this need for a high end sort of private sort of luxury space that is just your own whilst you get your life together and eventually then fly onto something like you produce it's that in-between market that is still just so emerging, so, you know, new, but also so necessary. And yeah. so we have a responsibility to make that the best it possibly can be. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I've seen so many different examples of people who've maybe bought early and bought in an area they don't want to live because yes. they've they're grown out of mum and dad's, but they maybe they don't have the wherewithal, they don't want to go and rent in Clapham or, 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 or Hoxton or wherever it may be. Um, also, I think there is that slight stigma um, of renting still in this country. It's all, you know, this desperation of everybody to own their own home. And don't get me wrong, that's my business. I want to sell people's homes, but only when they're ready. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, and plenty of our homes are sold with from you know assistance from help to buy. Um, now, the government can turn that tab on and off as it sees fit. Can turn stamp duty and that sort of stuff. So you know, I, I can you know, I see. Living at home with mum and dad, then I see house sharing. Um, uh, and you're right, it, it doesn't feel like that co-living and HMO space is there. Now, if somebody comes out with a you know, zone two or three 
block where everyone's got their own room and then they share a space downstairs and it's work from home. Everyone thinks it's the greatest thing to slice bed. What a great idea, co-living, isn't it so trendy? And actually that's happening everywhere, but maybe just not in a fancy big tower block with, you know, with a shared um with a shared coffee machine or barista that comes in three days a week. We we do have a shared we do put shared coffee machines in. Nice. And beer, and, beer <laughs> and, and, and beer fridges. And we also stock the beer fridge as well. Wow. See that that sort of thing, you know, and with the we work model and the flexi office and everything about community and that and, and all those sorts of things. I mean, and even if you spin it right to the other end of the market, you know, we're talking about a lot of the time young people, but we do old age really badly in this country. Mm, so agreed. Really badly. You have yeah. old ladies, old men his partner dies or they're already on their own and they live in one room in an old house on their own for 90% mm. of their week. And it's a game. Can the co-living be, you know, I know there's retirement villages and people like that and that sort of stuff, but it doesn't, it feels like there's a massive opportunity, um, you know, and, and one of the best things I've ever seen is a new build development that had an old people's home with a big glass front that looked out onto a nursery, a children's nursery. Mm. So, so, you know, you're combining those, young families yeah. living here in the community that brings and then old people who are perhaps on their own but, but the co-living as well always feels like refurbs of houses carving up a house old house big house carve it up six rooms and that sort of thing is there an opportunity for mass new build of small uh co-living hmos is, is there an opportunity to increase what the london living standards and that sort of thing allow us to build you know i can't build anything smaller than a one bed, one person flat. Mm. And there's minimum standards and rightly so. Um, but perhaps in larger developments, there is an opportunity to include some smaller co-living because not everybody wants to live in a building with 40 other people and share a lift and have a concierge and that sort of yeah. stuff. Some people want that home comfort of, of small. So yeah, I don't know if yeah. there's an opportunity for that. I think, yeah, coming back to the new, the new build bit, um, and the difficulty is, I think that a lot of councils don't get it. There's no policies around it. Um, like the, if you think about national minimum standards, um, to create a five bed house is absolutely massive. A five bed HMO doesn't need to be the same size as a five bed house. You know, it, it, it there, there's, it's like there's, there's, there's no thought about it as being part of the marketplace, despite it being a big part of the marketplace. Um, so you know, we would build new build HMOs all day long if it was an easy thing to to do. But there's also other other barriers to it in terms of um, well, there was obviously the planning, but funding, um, how to value the, the asset at the end, um, lending, all of that kind of stuff. Because you because you're not selling it, someone's holding it. So um, unless you've got um, well, one thing that, that we've explored doing is like working with with funds, et cetera, to ensure that you've got, um, you know, good, high quality yeah, ba financial backing to these so that they're going to you know, stand the test of time. Yeah. But um, anyway, um, it's, I'm glad you did your research. That was a nice little <laughs> rabbit hole. Yeah, that's um, unusual. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's really cool. We, we could talk yeah. all day about this. <laughs> yeah. But what we'll do is we're going to take you into episode roulette which is how we famously end our podcast. So, okay. um, right. So uh, for those new property jammers uh, who are listening for the first time and as a refresher to you, Joe, what I'm going to do is I'm going to scroll through previous episodes of Property Jam. You're going to say stop. And whatever episode I land on, you're going to share your human perspective 
on that particular topic. Okay. So I'm starting to scroll. Say stop when you're ready. Stop. Oh, <laughs> episode 12, goal setting. So it says goal setting 2020, which is when we recorded this episode. But yeah, have you got some goals set for 2022? Uh, goal set for 2022. Um, I, oh, dear me. Business or so, personal? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, headlines. Yeah, so, Give us the headlines. Let's not go too detailed. <laughs> I, I so uh, yeah, a bit wanky, but um, I wanted to build my own personal brand. I felt like I spent a lot of time working for companies, working for businesses, and I would do a lot of things for free, help people, put people into and that sort of stuff. And you know, doing things like this, coming onto podcasts, uh, I did some panel speaking recently, looking at some articles, just something to say. You know, this is me. This is what I do. Um, so that's a bit of a personal goal for me. Um, I am 100 days sober, uh, so I would like to continue my sobriety. Um, thank you very much. Um, into congratulations. Uh, into, thank you. That's, thank that's you very much. Um, yeah, into next year. Uh, that would be uh, that would be amazing. Uh, and then ideally Axel Rose will be on the phone uh, and I will get that gig um, and that, that would really top it off. So yeah, just Excellent. Uh, personal ground, continue sobriety and um, knock Axel Rose off of his peg. Selfie. I love it. I'm going to buy a bikini to celebrate. That's brilliant. Right. Okay, <laughs> next I'm scrolling again. Oh wow, I thought that was it. I gave all my No glasses. mate, we've got two. We've got two. Oh, Go for it. Uh, stop. Quick fire, quick fire. Oh yeah. Oh, Okay. Yeah, so this is about pressure, episode 31. How do you handle pressure in your business? Because <laughs> you must be under a lot of it a lot of the time. <laughs> we are under a huge amount of pressure. And I, the more pressure I get under, the happier I get. I drive everyone <laughs> fucking crazy. All right, so myself and the original founder, uh, I'm Tigger and he's Eeyore. Uh, gen- genuinely, that's how we work. So Love it. If you can get a smile out of him, you know that things are going well and, you know, you can scrape me off the roof for five minutes, you know, you know, things <laughs> are going badly. Um, but yeah, I, I, for some reason, the harder it gets, the more pressure, the more difficult, the better I get. And if it's easy, I kind of float around and can't focus and stare out the window at pigeons. So yeah, pressure, just, just get into it, just get going, roll your sleeves up, have fun and, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Well, yeah, it's just, yeah. Well, anything to keep you away from staring at pigeons. I mean, that's just creepy. No one should be that's, doing that. That's weird. That is, that is. Well, I might know. We should probably wrap up. <laughs> I think we probably should. So uh, thank you very much, Joe, the pigeon starer. Uh, from <laughs> from a new there. place. That's the episode title. <laughs> Ruined it. You're doing so well. Your personal brand has just gone down the toilet. It has gone down the toilet. Yeah. Oh, so, well. but thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they find you? Uh, they can find me at joe.garner uh, at thisisnewplace.com or via LinkedIn. Uh, my profile, Joe Garner. Um, I'm an, a LinkedIn addict, so uh, feel free to contact me either of those ways um, or via our website, www.thisisnewplace.com. Brilliant. Thank you very much. So uh, that, that will be a goodbye from me. It's a goodbye from me. It's a goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Thank you for having me.
and jam with us on social media where you can hear more and see more. On Facebook, search Property Jam Podcast. Or you can follow us on Instagram at Property Jam Podcast. Or you can email us at Property Jam Podcast at Outlook.com. See, see you on, on the next, next episode. episode.